0: Welcome, Welcome to Umbrella Rebellion. Rebellion. I'm Marcy. And I'm Dee. We are finding healing after leaving a cult.
1: We will be discussing abuse and personal experience with the ATI, IBLP, and fundamental churches.
0: Trigger warning this podcast may contain descriptions of various forms of abuse. Please take care for your safety and well being while you are listening. If the
1: content becomes too much for you to handle, please turn this off. We hope to expose harmful teachings that lead to and justify abuse with the hope that
0: those that are experiencing abuse can find support and escape from it.
1: Welcome to Umbrella Rebellion. Hey Marcy. Hey Dee. Hey everybody. The last week we had the live AMA So we want to just thank everybody for coming to that and thank you for (laughs) all your questions. Okay, so a few little updates. We are going to be ending season one with this episode. Marcy has some things going on. I have some things going on. So we're just going to take a, a few weeks of a break, kind of regroup, do some research, get some stuff prepped for season two. Basically, the wrap of our stories is going to be tonight and we... Might possibly kick off season two with our monthly AMA. Just depends on when we can get back to it, depending on how well all our stuff goes that we have to deal with.
0: So don't forget that you can find us on the uh, links down below. It's Instagram, Facebook, all of those are down there. And then also we've got merch. So t-shirts.
1: Show your support with some t-shirts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So last last non live that we had our last episode was about me leaving and it was kind of intertwined in with like my divorce and everything and how that got me to realize some things about the cult and kind of a couple years later I left so Marcy so since you were kind of out of the cult by the time that you got married but we've talked kind of about your marriage that you were divorced so I guess the best way to wrap up our stories is to kind of go through that part of your story, even though you were out of the cult, you know, I know you and I've talked about that the cult teachings were kind of still wrapped up into your, like the way you handled your relationship. Mm -hmm. So even being out of it for a couple of years or whatever it was, Mm -hmm. you know, that still Mm -hmm. affected your relationship. So why don't you go ahead and tell us, you know, kind of about your marriage and okay, your um, story.
0: <laughs> yes. the I had only been out of it for, let's see, I met him in 2009, so I had been out of it for five years by then, but I was still very much in a fundamental mindset, and so my psyche was still very mixed up in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was still unraveling a lot of that. And I think that a good portion of that unraveling had not happened enough to, to maybe give me a better view or be able to catch some of the red flags that mm-hmm. were there. Now, I, I know you mentioned that with, with your ex that you probably wouldn't have listened to people if, even when they raised, you know, questions and I did, I did the same thing. I I didn't listen. I was just too wrapped up in it when people did raise red flags about it but it is what it is with relationships (laughs) right so Um,
1: like i know for me a lot of it i was able to explain it away by like you know we were super young right before we got married we both turned 23 yeah so a lot of it was well he's still immature he has some growing up to do so you can excuse some of the behavior as like we're Mm -hmm. young yes did you have any of that
0: no because we were both 30 by the time that we met at like the tail end of 29 and they got married at 30 so I didn't I didn't use the age thing he did tell me that he was a believer and I explained some of it just not as Mm -hmm. because I wasn't going to church either and I was still figuring out what I believed as far as the church went I was willing to let more of those things slide because I didn't want to be really strict about things and so Mm -hmm. I let what he told me, slider that it was small enough. I just didn't worry about the religious part as much as probably what I should have. And I think he told me some things that I came to find out later weren't true. Mm. Like he he claimed it, but it wasn't. It wasn't there. And I rationalized it. There was a lot of rationalization there. So we met in 2009, and the way that we met was through Craigslist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I Do think you? shared that on another episode but we yeah. were there so we met that that way and we went on a few dates and we're pretty much just stuck at the hip and after just a few dates it was mm-hmm. it was pretty intense as far as interest levels go so within a year and maybe about like 15 months we were married so okay. we met in February we were engaged by Thanksgiving and we were married by the next May i had parents were had misgivings, but mostly because he mostly because he wasn't within the cult or wasn't within the church yeah. the, as they would have seen it. So I dismissed a lot of their mm. misgivings just as them being way too strict and wanting me to do it courtship the same way that they had always wanted me to do it. So I dismissed those. The ones that I wish I had listened to was some siblings had raised a few concerns, and then a really close friend of mine, like a best friend, raised some concerns. And she was coming out of a, a really a bad uh, marriage relationship too, and so she knew the signs to look for. Oh, and if I had listened to her, then I probably wouldn't have been as stuck as I was. But part of part of some manipulation that happened with him there was that he tried to he he made it so that he cut me off from friends and any kind yeah. of outside influence that would uh-huh. have talked me out of it. Yeah, and I, I mean, there were it was too complicated to go into that story now. But the way that it rolled. I ended up cutting off friendships with at least two people that were trying to that were trying to speak to me about it and warn me through his some of his manipulations.
1: So I have a question about that, because that kind of happened to me a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. Would he almost like pit you against your friend and Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. use some of what they were saying to like, manipulate the situation to turn it around to like your friend is trying to destroy your relationship? Yeah. Yeah, same thing happened with me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Without going into too much of the story, there were some trust things that happened on the French side, but there were also some things that he twisted it to make it so that I was right in the middle of all the things. And it just, it was bad all the way around.
1: Right, right. So he used the, he used whatever situation it was to his advantage. Yeah. And was like, oh, well, I can use this to twist it and make it and manipulate yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah so that it made that made me have to cut them off um he knew i wasn't gonna listen to family at that point mm-hmm. and after it ended now i'm gonna jump back and forth a little bit but after it ended and i went to counseling you know looking back once i learned some of the uh, some of the counseling things and how what to look for and i learned a lot of things about narcissism mm-hmm. and you know i can't diagnose anyone but it, a lot of his behavior fit those things. When I looked back, I can tell you that the week that the grooming started for me. Mm. And it was a week after we got married. As soon as soon as I was quote unquote, his, mm-hmm. the grooming started. And it was wow. very, very slow. It was like, you know, that illustration where the you know, the toad will stay in the water as it gets hotter and hotter because mm-hmm. it doesn't realize that it's going to be boiled eventually.
1: That's yeah.
0: kind of what happened with me. It just started so small and just built so slowly that I didn't realize I was boiling alive by the end.
1: So, just to pause real quick right here for anybody who is not aware of what grooming is, do yes. you know what the definition or kind of the gist? of grooming so our listeners who may not be aware of what that is
0: don't know the exact definition but grooming to me is if you want control of someone you start you start teaching them how you want them to react to you you start either denying things the the way he did it was he denied things he would stay on his computer for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours he would deny me time with him or he would there was other things that he would deny okay so so in a begging state
1: I just Googled this. So, (laughs) give us a definition. (laughs) Yeah. So, basically, it's manipulative behaviors that the abuser uses to gain access to a victim, coerce them to agree to the abuse, or reduce the risk of being caught. So, it's basically just kind of slowly manipulating situations to their advantage, is how I would describe it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That seems, yeah a good description of what happened. Yeah. So we got married in May and he went back to school. And so I kind of kept us afloat while he was in school. Mm-hmm. And the agreement was that once he was done with school, then I would go back to school and he would keep us afloat on his job while I went back. And I did a few like, um, undergrad courses, you know, math and English mm-hmm. and stuff that I didn't already have in the middle mm-hmm. of that. But, but it was me working in him at school. Mm-hmm. And then once he graduated, he got a job offer in St. Louis, which moved us away from family here in Tulsa, you know, six hours away up there. Mm-hmm. And what he what he didn't tell me at the time was that the only reason he got the job was because it was his dad's connections there. I realized that later and his dad lived up there. So it put us closer to his dad, but his dad's not that involved. So it took me away from my family support. Mm-hmm. So it was just one more step of
1: Thanks, Not Alicia. having that
0: support, so we lived up there for four years. And so once he was done with his school and he was working, it was supposed to be my turn, right? Which it never did. Never did went the other opposite direction. He wasn't willing to support to let me go back to school. Or when I insisted and went and started nursing school, he freaked out, flipped out. Oh, <laughs> it wow. was. But by then we also had a house, and there were some other things too. And then within a month of me um, going b- to, back to nursing school, I got pregnant with our first. And I think that the, the abuse was more mental emotional there at the mm-hmm. beginning. It was very subtle grooming. And then it got worse and worse where if I disagreed, then he wouldn't do anything to me physically, but he would back me into the corner of a kitchen and he would punch things over my head. He wouldn't hit me, but he mm-hmm. would hit things over my head. He'd punch doors. There wasn't a rent house that we lived in that didn't have a door uh, with a punch hole in it and come to find out he was an alcoholic. Now I, I didn't come from a background of drinking. And so I didn't know the signs of alcoholism. Otherwise I might've been able to pick up on that a little bit earlier, but I didn't. And I knew it was, a lot, but I didn't realize it was excessive because there was no way for me to gauge what was too much and what wasn't. I just knew that occasionally he would go a little too far and then wake me up and we'd end up with a hole in the door. <laughs> so, but it never occurred to me that it was true alcoholism until much, much later in the uh, relationship. Okay. So really naive on that point too.
1: Like, so how long into your marriage was it before y'all moved away?
0: We were in Tulsa for three years. Okay. So it took that long Okay. For him to get done with school and then us move. So it was three years in. We were together almost seven by the time we split. Okay. So the last four years was in St. Louis because we lived there for Mm -hmm. four years. That's where the babies were born. Mm -hmm. So Embry arrived probably year five, I think. Okay. And he knew I wanted kids all along. It was kind of at my insistence. (laughs) (laughs) I was 35 and I was, you know, biological clock was ticking. So I Mm -hmm. really wanted children. And then she ended up arriving in the middle of nursing school. So I thought I would just, I would just do that one semester. I would have her take six weeks off, go back to nursing school. Well, she had like a week long stay in the NICU because she was so small when she was born. Mm -hmm. She had some complications. And then he stroked within a week of her
1: birth. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that put him in a disabled state. So Mm -hmm. he couldn't work. And I had a newborn. So I had a a disabled husband and a newborn. So I quit nursing school and went back to work and was Mm -hmm. just, I wasn't even keeping us afloat with what I could bring in because we needed both incomes. And that was a huge struggle. The stroke, I believe, changed his mental state Mm -hmm. enough that it went from just mental and emotional abuse with occasional broken door to full-on dangerous behavior. So things like lighting gas stoves and filling the house with gas in the middle of the night because he was so inebriated that he wow. was trying to light this old 1960s stove that I wasn't even aware that was you know connected to gas. Yeah. But- Thankfully, he got us out, and he got us out in time. But it was, it, it really could have been a really wow. life threatening thing. And the drinking got bad enough that then he started breaking windows, which sprayed glass with children. It just got a lot more violent. Just a
1: minute. So you were saying
0: that it just got more violent. Oh yeah, um, physical his behavior okay. just got more violent as we went on. Things things started happening where I was really scared for my safety and also for my daughters. I think another thing that was affected with the stroke was that he lost his some of his long-term and a lot of his short-term memory.
1: Mm. So
0: in the process of doing that, I found out about a bunch of lies because he couldn't keep up with them. Mm. He couldn't remember what he Mm -hmm. had told me. And so Mm. then a lot of truth came out that he had been lying from the very beginning. So seven years worth of lies came out. And one of my rules at the beginning for him was, you know, beat on me or my kids. Didn't know there was such a thing as mental and emotional abuse. So didn't, didn't put that didn't in notice the, But, and I said, you don't um, cheat on me and you don't lie to me. Any one of those three things, I will leave you faster than spit. But, but outside of that, you know, I'm going to be a loyal and, and true wife and I will, you know, walk through whatever life throws at you. So that's what mm-hmm. I was trying to do with this, with the stroke and that I was trying yeah. to be very loyal and be very helpful. He was extremely difficult and all of that. I had, mm-hmm. I had heart doctors yelling at me and stroke doctors and because he was so difficult. Um, Oh, wow. So anyway, uh, it's neither here nor there. But so also that came out, the lies that had been told all those years. And I think that's where the the break started was that Mm -hmm. I realized I had been lied to and that I couldn't trust anything. Mm -hmm. And then the behavior escalated to where it was dangerous for us. And I think I probably would have stayed longer had it not been for the kids. But Mama Bear kicked in. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't just about me anymore. It was about them. And so then I was, you know, being protective of them.
1: So, so right after your first child was born, he had Mm -hmm. the stroke. And so you were trying to work take care of him, Yes. take care of a baby. Mm -hmm. And then they're, they're not very far apart, are they? They're
0: not. So they're only 20 months apart. So Embry was much desired and, and planned for. River was a surprise Mm -hmm. in the middle of all that, a blessed surprise. But yeah, so I was pregnant with the second one then. So I had probably tried to delete twice before I got pregnant with the second one. Mm-hmm. and so once I got pregnant then I felt like I had to stay because then you know I don't know I just felt like I needed him to be a support which that was ridiculous because there was never any support at all ever right. but in my mind it seemed like the right thing to do mm-hmm. and right
1: that that like always wanting that family unit yeah to stay intact and it's yes. one thing to take one kid Yes. And be on your own with one kid. It's a completely yes. different thing to be on the, on your own with two kids. Yeah. So close together, <laughs> mm-hmm. such young ages, with mm-hmm. taking them away from their daddy. Like yes. I, I totally get that because I had that struggle as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was the other thing. And I, I, I had a good friend that I left for two weeks one time mm-hmm. because it it got so bad. And I came home to to Oklahoma and I left for those two weeks and I was trying to decide whether to go back. And I was really early pregnant. I had actually already planned the family trip. And I was going to tell them that I was pregnant with a second one. And I had it all big old thing planned. Well, stuff went down and he got dangerous and it was threatening, being life-threatening. He was he was giving death threats because he was so angry. And so I had to call family in and say, come get me. Mm-hmm. And and so I stayed away for two weeks. And that mm-hmm. I talked to her later and I said, I remember talking to you during this and then I ended up going back and she said, Marcy, you weren't, re- you weren't ready to hear it. He mm-hmm. said, she said, I knew you shouldn't go back then, but you weren't ready to hear me. And so I couldn't say anything. And which is really yeah. true. So if I'm ever talking to um, people that have family that they're trying to help out of a situation like that, I just tell them to keep trying because eventually, hopefully people yeah. eventually hear you. I just mm-hmm. couldn't hear it then, so I stayed mm-hmm. until the second one was newborn. So we left when mm-hmm. she was ten weeks old. Okay. And it it got it came to a head because he knew we were losing the house because I couldn't keep up with bills and he didn't work, and so it we had gone into foreclosure. And I had been trying and trying to get him to leave with me to go come back to Oklahoma to try to sell the house, leave come come somewhere where we could have family support mm-hmm. because of two babies. Right and he couldn't work. So he was unwilling to do that. And so he knew that I was real close to just throwing in the towel and leaving. Mm-hmm. And and that was the night that he got real violent that caused me to leave. And so he he got really drunk. He hid my phone and my keys and my mm-hmm. iPad because I had tried to run in the car before, which he had done crazy things with that. He knew that I would call for help and he knew that I had used the iPad one other time to call for help. So he hid those things, make sure I couldn't get to him. And then he woke me up in the middle of the night, like at three in the morning and, and wanted to argue about it or try to convince me not to go. And he was already, you know, inebriated. And I knew it wasn't going to do me any good to argue with him. Cause I already tried that a million different times. And also the babies were asleep. So I took him outside and said, let's talk. Let, I was going to try to calm him down outside. Mm-hmm. I, wasn't willing to argue with him. And I asked for my phone back and he wouldn't give it to me. And he got real angry. And then he tried to lock me out of the house, which caused a fight because I wasn't going to let him lock me out of the house away from my typical baby, nursing baby Mm-mm. or my two-year-old. And mm-hmm. I didn't want that level. He was already at that level of violence. He wasn't going to be in a locked house with mm. my children alone. Right. And so right. that caused a scuffle and he ended up throwing me to the ground and holding me there for, for a little bit. And then he eventually released me. I think he kind of realized that he had crossed a line. And so then I hopped up barefoot. It was uh, really super cold. It might have been snowing because it was right around Christmas time. Mm -hmm. Ran across the street to a neighbor's house. And I think I tried three neighbors before somebody answered the door. Because by then it was fine. And an elderly couple across the street had still had an old wall phone. (laughs) the landline and they let me come in and call the police and, and then, so when they came, they had already responded to like maybe four times issues with him when mm-hmm. I had called for violence or, or death threats or erratic, like inebriated behavior or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they, they told me, we can't keep coming out here to you. And they said, do you want to press charges? And I said, well, is there, is this actually like, can I actually do that? So, In in my mind, I didn't have any grounds to press charges against him, even though he had just stolen all those things and tried to lock me out of the house and had, like, thrown me on the floor and held me down. In my mind, I was still not being abused. It still wasn't enough to press charges. That's how in control he had me. And the police officer gave me this really incredulous look and said, well, yeah, <laughs> like, no, uh, yeah, you could do that. And I was like, uh, okay, then, then do it. Then, okay, I'm, I'm done. Do it. <laughs> yeah. So they did, and my family came and got me. I, I could, still couldn't find my phone or my keys or anything. And I got a hold of him on Facebook on the computer. He forgot about the computer, mm-hmm. so I was able to get on there and get on Messenger and message to them and tell them what had happened. And they got to me and got me packed up and out in 24 hours.
1: So Uh, when, when that night happened, did they arrest him and take him away?
0: They did. They arrested him. They, they took him to the jail. We weren't sure how long he would be there, but it was like two days before Christmas. It was like Christmas Eve, Eve. Mm -hmm. So it was right in the middle of a holiday. And so he, it wasn't very fast that he could get him out. Right. Now I had already gone and bailed him out a couple different times out of jail. For different things, oh. at least once, if not twice. One for driving inebriated and another one for, I forget what other one it was. But we we had done several rounds of this where I mm-hmm. had gone, ba- gone back and helped him out and waited for him in court and mm. bailed him out and got, you know, got the car out. I don't mean to
1: laugh. It's just because <laughs> it just, in me, for me, like, mm-hmm. I I'm laughing because I tell my kids all the time, don't even call me. I'm not bailing you out of jail. If you do something stupid enough to get your butt in jail, you stay in there. Don't even call me. I said, if you know that you're going to do something stupid, you better know how much bail you're going to need. And it better be in your account and somebody else better have access to it because I ain't doing it. Yes
0: and that is my opinion now like that tells you how much I've grown from then yes yes
1: (laughs) yes I wasn't I was not trying to laugh at you or your story because oh Oh, my gosh that is heartbreaking I was just laughing because it just made me think about what I tell my kids and
0: some of the stuff I look back that I did for him that that I let fly that that I thought was okay or that I thought was my wifely duty to bail him out of jail it just it is laughable it is absolutely laughable but mm-hmm. i really thought i was being the loyal wife and that i was sticking with him through thick and thin and that even though he wasn't showing a shred of remorse mm-hmm. or intention of change and even though i knew in my head that change wasn't going to happen even if he promised it because it just it had right. never happened before and this right. is 7 years this i still for some reason held on to that hope Do you think
1: that is where, like, the cult teachings kind of melded into that? Yes. Like, Mm -hmm. so kind of explain that, how you, like, how that tied into, like, your reasoning for all of this.
0: The the cult teachings, we've gone over that a little bit, Mm -hmm. where you're supposed to stick with your husband no matter what. Like, you're supposed to, the wife is supposed to yield to his decisions, and... Yield your rights to things, I think was another thought from the cult. So I was yielding my rights to him helping around the house. I was yielding my rights to him being a responsible partner. I was, I had always been in charge at home as far as meals and cleaning and all those adult things that you were supposed to do. It just didn't seem any different to me. And
1: that mm-hmm. was the
0: wife's place was to run the home, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we were taught. Right. So that's what I Even did. though...
1: At some point he wasn't working. he was exactly. at home, yeah, mm-hmm. you were mm-hmm. handling it all, plus yeah. working, taking care of the kids, and mm-hmm. it was all on your shoulders, mm-hmm. right? yeah, yeah so so a lot of the cult teaching is also about being submissive, even yeah. when your spouse, the husband, as a wife, even when the husband is in the wrong, mm-hmm. even when he is doing things that are not godly because that is supposed to change them because you're showing them God's love and mercy and perfect, like the perfect undeserved respect. Like you are giving them undeserved respect. So that's supposed to make them wake up and realize that Oh, I'm being treated better than I deserve, right?
0: <laughs> Which just feeds into the very narcissistic type of behavior that I was seeing. It became a source for him instead of I thought that's what a submissive wife was supposed right. to do. Was just right. and I I hid a lot of his lies for him too. I would realize mm-hmm. that what he was telling people wasn't exactly right or wasn't exactly truthful. And that always bothered me, but I thought I was supposed to help him save face. That's another thing that mm-hmm. Colton mm-hmm. taught, was that no matter what, you respect your husband in public. You, you save face. You keep him from looking bad. Yep. You, you present a united front mm-hmm. and make it look good. And I was really good at wearing mm-hmm. that wet mask. So a lot of people didn't know that all mm-hmm. this stuff was happening. They didn't know that the cabinets were being punched. They didn't know the alcoholism was that bad. They didn't know that he was lying through his teeth. Even his parents didn't know mm-hmm. that he was lying through his teeth to them because wow. I helped him say face. I eventually mm-hmm. got to the point where I wouldn't, I wouldn't engage in a lie. I just wouldn't say, no, that's not true. I would just remain silent. I just mm-hmm. went silent. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. So not to make anything like culminate, but just to keep yourself out of it. Yeah. Yes. Kind of like a you learned how to make a boundary. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to be involved in it, but I'm not going to make my situation worse either.
0: Exactly. Because yeah. I would get it at home. If I rocked the boat at all, then yeah. I would pay for it. Right. Either with the silent treatment or with, you know, inebriated type of anger and rages. I would mm-hmm. I call them rages. He, he was yeah. in a rage tonight and he was particularly fond of waking me up at three in the morning and just raging and being really dangerous. Oh, wow. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So I knew if I I pushed back at all, if I stood Mm -hmm. up for myself at all, I would pay for it. And they say, statistically speaking, when a woman stands up for herself and finally says, I'm not going to take this anymore. That is the most dangerous moment Mm -hmm. for her in an abusive situation. And I will tell you that night that we were out on that porch and I, Mm -hmm. I stood up for myself. I didn't look down. I didn't cower like I normally did. I looked him in the eye and I said, I want my phone. And I'm not going to do this game of arguing with you. And the look in his eye was the scariest thing I think Mm -hmm. I have ever seen because I really Mm -hmm. thought he was going to take me out in that moment. Wow. And so it was true. So if they, you know, (laughs) I don't know who all has been through this or if you're in it or, you know, that is the dangerous moment. Thankfully, I walked out of it. Okay. They say statistically, it takes seven tries. For an abused partner to leave, if they try, yeah. and it took me four. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um,
1: yeah, yeah. But- I, I mean, I filed for divorce twice, but there were times where I would leave and go visit my sister, or mm-hmm. you know, different, you know, breaks. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. So, trying to get the thing to diffuse, so you can go back and. Yes try and make, you know, like, okay, a lot of it was, this was a lot of my experience was I would take responsibility for whatever happened. You know, I'm sorry. I did this. Yes. That caused you to do this. I'm sorry. I will change what I'm doing. So you won't respond this way. And it didn't matter how many times I changed. I still got the same response no matter what.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was a lot of it for me, too. And I would say, I will change this, this, and this. I'm sorry. That That's a lot of the thing, too, is that I caused him to be angry. So it was mm-hmm. my fault for the situation because I made him angry. And mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of the cult, too, because it was your job to make sure the man was okay It's your job to make sure they don't lust after you with your clothing. Mm -hmm. It's your job to make sure your husband is happy no matter what. So I took on a lot of that responsibility and it was always my fault because I was the one that made him angry, which it was for things like I had too many lights on in the house
1: or my gosh. Yes.
0: He didn't like what was for dinner or I had made meatloaf too many times that month or Mm -hmm. I wanted too much attention. So I asked him, to just, he wouldn't go to, he wouldn't go to bed with me. He would stay up until two or three in the morning playing video games and then come to bed at like 6 a.m. And I, that's when I had to get up to go to work. And then I would work all day and then come home in the evening and he would just be getting up and he might have two hours before he goes up to do his video games again and stay up all night. So he had his nights nice and days mixed up. So he never spent any time with me and he never spent any time with our daughters. Mm-hmm. So that was always my complaint. I want you to be with us at least a little bit, you know. Yeah. Can you please stay awake long enough to be with us, especially on the weekends? Mm
1: -hmm. And it didn't
0: seem to matter. But it was always me that was expecting too much.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Because (laughs) God forbid you expect your husband to like want to be around you
0: and your children. And At that point with the baby, I was like, it doesn't even matter about me anymore. I don't care if you spend time with me because this has been such a pattern with us now right. that I'm not even going to fight that anymore. But at least spend time with your daughter. Like yeah. at least see your infant daughter for an hour while she's mm-hmm. awake. You know, you can stay awake for an hour, that type of thing. So it just, yeah, that's kind of how it, mm-hmm. there's probably a lot more ways that it tied into the cult that I'm not thinking of now. But it, it definitely played into me right. being duped into
1: kind that of gender roles.
0: That gender role Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or even not seeing the signs of the, that narcissistic behavior that was happening or the control
1: or the abuse
0: or the abuse that there was other types of abuse. I didn't understand mental illness and I didn't understand Mm -hmm. um, that there are multiple types of abuse. I thought because I didn't have a black eye or bruises, that I wasn't being abused and Mm -hmm. that it wasn't legitimate. I even went to a couple of places to ask for help when I realized it was getting bad Mm -hmm. and they never asked me about those things. They only said, is he hurting you? And I said, well, no, but he's doing all these other threatening things and I don't know what to do. I'm looking, I was looking for a legitimate reason for me to be able to leave. Like, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: because I knew something was wrong. I knew Mm -hmm. it was abuse. I just didn't know how to label it. Right. I didn't get any real true answers until I had actually left and come back to Oklahoma and found a good counselor that had good, solid training that could give me answers for that.
1: That's one thing that I struggled with, too, because there wasn't physical bruises on me, you know, and what marks the children had on them were all from spanking. Yes. And they were all typically Mm -hmm. very subtle or they would go away pretty quickly yes so you know i didn't document any of that and i should Mm -hmm. have Mm -hmm. but i was also spanking my children at that time so he would use Well, you do it too
0: yeah well
1: i do it at your behest or i do it so it's not as bad as the ones you give
0: yes yes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that way Mm -hmm. um, his argument for me was always well, I didn't do it, though. Like, when he punched the window out and sprayed glass across the 12-foot room and it almost hit the toddler. Like, if she hadn't gone around the corner in that split second, she would have been sprayed with glass. And I was livid. I was like, how? would? Why would you do that when you saw her standing there? And, you know, it was so dangerous. And he was like, but it didn't happen. Like, I knew she wasn't going to get hurt. I knew, right. I knew she wasn't going to get hurt when I hit the window. Right. And I was like, how, how could you have possibly known that? Right. Um, in their in their mind, they
1: reason it away mm -hmm. and it's like fact instead of, you know, their judgment call or whatever, or, you know, supposition, you know, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. I'm going to say this and I'm going to state it as fact because you can't argue with facts.
0: Yes. And they'll say yeah. it over and over and over again mm-hmm. so much that you start believing it yourself. Right. Or or you argue in such a loop that it just exhausts you so you don't argue against it anymore. You're like, okay, no, you whatever. Yes. Right. And I think the cult did that too. They would just mm-hmm. repeat something over and over and over again or any arguments that you brought up. If you did, mm-hmm. then then they would just, it was circular. So you would never got to the end of it. It just went in a right. circle. Right. So right. I, I was used to that too.
1: <laughs> so it, it conditioned you to yes. be like, we've talked about like these teachings basically set you up for being susceptible to abuse yes. because it was abusive tactics that yes. were used to rope you into these beliefs. Mm-hmm. So it's familiar. And so it you're was like, very
0: familiar. Yeah. It was very familiar. And it, mm-hmm. and anger was not unfamiliar for to me from my past things either. So mm-hmm. it, it any anger that he had, I thought I could assuage. I was very good at peacemaking and making sure that everybody was happy and calming that anger. And mm-hmm. so I did that for many years, just calmed him down, like always calmed mm-hmm. him down. Well, at the end, it, it came, I couldn't do it anymore. Like he right. just wasn't calm downable. You <laughs> just
1: right.
0: talk him out of it. Right. Probably because of the stroke, but also because the drinking got worse. Um, Right. And once somebody's that inebriated, there's no getting around that.
1: No, you can't reason with intoxicated or, you know, drugged. No. Yeah. I'm (laughs) Yeah. Trying to have an argument with someone when they're completely high and then you're halfway through the argument and you're like, oh, word salad. Oh, yeah. We're having (laughs) this conversation. Never mind. It's useless. You won't remember a single thing. That I'm saying right now, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and, Mm -hmm. and then like the tangents that made no sense. And then you're like, you look back and you're like, oh yeah, they were high. No we had
0: the same argument. Yeah. He would remember things the next day ever. And I could never tell what he wasn't remembering because of of the drinking or what he was specifically not remembering on purpose Mm -hmm. because it served the purpose that he needed
1: To manipulate the the situation, right? Yes. Uh Yeah.
0: And he also delighted in confusing me because that was another tactic. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Or not remembering it. I don't remember it that way. You're remembering it wrong.
1: Oh, my gosh. So many That's not what I
0: meant. You took it wrong. Yeah. Like,
1: there's only so many ways you can say things. And, like, when you say this, this, and this, it means this. And then (laughs) you're like, Do I not understand the human language? Like, do I not understand English? Did I forget how to understand English out of, like, all the years, like, before we were married? Like, or the first couple of years of marriage, I had a pretty good understanding of English language. And then all of a sudden, I'm this very confused person who doesn't know what words mean. Like,
0: yes, yes. I I lived in a constant state of, of confusion, and also with there at the end with the two babies, neither one of my babies slept well. Especially the first one, she was a sick baby with ear infections oh God, and stuff. So I wasn't getting any sleep at all. Yeah, like maybe two hours at a time, oh and my um, yeah. and not more than four or five hours a night. So I was I was just absolutely crazy with exhaustion.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: And he, so was, then your world is like even more
1: like confusing. it, it was
0: just. I don't even know how I functioned. I found pizza in the dishwasher, it was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it was nuts. So,
1: Things um, in the cabinet that should be in the fridge. I've done, yeah, yes,
0: yes, mm-hmm. yeah, or make food and realize I forgot half the ingredients or something like that. Yep, yep. So, but I had friends there that were huge support because the where I was working at the time was in a church daycare. And so the, mm-hmm. the people there, I think, realized that I was in a worse situation than what I thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I remember sitting there and talking to them and, and telling them, how did these wonderful women get so mixed up with these horrible, horrible men? This was coming out of my mouth mm-hmm. when I was living it. Like, I was mm-hmm. that woman. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even connect. Yeah, Like, I was living in constant abuse, and I was mm-hmm. saying, how do these lovely women get mixed up with such horrible men? Like, it just didn't compute for me All at right. that moment.
1: Oh, I, I totally. I mean, it's just the same as, you know, how do adults get mixed up in a cult? Yes. You know, it's yes. it's the same thing. It's a yes. slow... It's a slow melding of your mind. Like mm-hmm. it's almost like your brain is being burnt from the inside out, yes. you know, cause it's like they get in there and they put a little nugget yeah. and then there's another nugget built on that one. And then and they...
0: mostly out of fear.
1: Yeah. Mostly
0: out of fear. So I think yes. a lot of the cult was fear based mm-hmm. um, motivation for doing things. Right. So the relationship also was, Fear based. So, my Mm -hmm. motivation for keeping me happy or my motivation for doing whatever he asked me to do was fear based. Either Mm -hmm. he'd planted a fear of someone else or a situation so that it would motivate me to do what he wanted, or he planted things about himself. Like he told me that he was a Red Beret and that he had done secret Black Ops missions and Mm -hmm. that he had full capability and training of being able to disappear without a trace. So he had planted that years before. And then when I wanted to Mm -hmm. leave and we had the one daughter and I was pregnant with a second, he knew I was about to leave her that I was thinking I might've already left for a couple of days, one, one time. So he came to me and he had a hold of the baby and he said, I could take you out and I could disappear with her. Mm -hmm. I could, I said, are you, are you telling me that you would kill me and take her and he said, I wouldn't do that. I would never do that to you. I love you. But I could if I wanted to. Oh my god. And gosh. so and I said, You can't do that. I'm pregnant with your second child. Like you can't do that to both you couldn't do that to the baby, even if you wanted to do that to me. And he said, But I could, I could just take her and disappear. No one would ever know and they would never see me or her again. Yeah. And so he had already planted that that belief mm-hmm. that he could he was capable of that. Mm -hmm. years before and so I really believed that in that moment come to find out he didn't even make it through boot camp (laughs) (laughs) so but I didn't find out that out until after the stroke had happened and somebody else spilled the beans so that was never that was never truthful but I believed it in Mm -hmm. the moment
1: well of course and it was a it was a tool that he used to manipulate and control you and he wanted
0: me to stay Mm -hmm. he wanted me to be fearful enough to stay
1: Yeah, I know in in my first marriage, a lot of the anger and outbursts were directed at inanimate objects. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: he Mm -hmm. did work on his own vehicles and the words that would come out of his mouth as a Bible believing fundamental Baptist man. And the things he would say and do to his vehicles while he was working on them Mm -hmm. scared the living shit out of me. I'm like, if he gets that pissed at me, that'll be me. If he gets that pissed at my kids, that'll be my kids. Yes, I'm going to share this one story with you because, well, two things. So I have a question. Was there any point in y'all's relationship before marriage or maybe even right after marriage where you sat there and went, maybe I shouldn't marry this man, or maybe this is not who I married? You know, like, this is not the person that I thought I was marrying, like, shortly Um, after.
0: Yeah, it was the friend situation, the friend that was Mm -hmm. trying to help me out. She had found some information on him, and she brought it to me and said, this person is not who you think they are. Mm -hmm. And I was extremely angry with her for having gone that far to get the information on him. But it did make me take two steps back and say, "Mm, maybe I don't know. Him, Uh but there was enough gray area in the information that I was able to explain it away. Maybe this wasn't him. Maybe, maybe this information isn't true, or maybe Mm. she got the wrong person, or some. I'm absolutely, positively certain that whatever she found was probably on him. Yeah. Like like now that I know who he is and I and I know all of that now, absolutely certain that she was absolutely right. And I've always felt bad that I broke it off in the way that I did. Yeah, and then I didn't listen to her. But that was the that was the one moment where I thought, well, maybe I need to back off.
1: And then mm. I was
0: able to explain it away.
1: Yeah, and I cut her off. That's kind of like the letter that I got from the friend from Florida, telling me that there was past I didn't know about, which I had thought he had told me everything. Yeah. So it was kind of like this gray area of,
0: mm-hmm.
1: well, if I know everything, what what I know is not bad.
0: Yeah it just
1: didn't work out. Right.
0: Yeah. So hindsight is 2020, but I really wish I had listened to her. Yeah. And I've already felt bad that I heard her in that. So
1: this is, this is, goes back to our our last episode before Mm -hmm. the, the live, those little inklings of thoughts in your head that you're, that you have, if you are in a relationship with anyone that. Gives you that inkling of, hmm, maybe this isn't the right person or, hmm, this doesn't sit well with me. Run. Run. Run.
0: It it even smells slightly like a lie. Run.
1: There (laughs) was, and I'll tell you, this is my story about that, is there was an inkling for me. There was a moment that I could have saved myself from it all. I was standing at the back of the church with my dad. And I don't know if he remembers saying this to me, Mm -hmm. but he turned to me before they opened the doors. I'm in my wedding gown. We've paid for the church. We paid for the reception. And he goes, are you sure? Mm -hmm. And my head goes, nope, I am not sure. (sighs) And my body went, you know, like my heart and my brain says, no, 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 no. And I'm like, then I'm like, but everybody is here. We've paid for it, you know, like Mm -hmm. he he would be devastated if he got left at the altar because he's already had two failed engagements. So like I was thinking about disappointing my whole entire family, Mm -hmm. destroying this man Mm -hmm. by leaving him and wasting my parents' money, you know, and it's like in that moment, None of that would have really mattered because my family would have been like, you did the right thing yeah. because most of my family was not okay with it, yeah. but they supported me anyway. And so I told my dad, yes, I'm sure. And I walked down the aisle and three kids and almost 10 years later and lots and lots of money spent on a divorce. <laughs> yeah. So I could have say and. Like I said, I love my kids. I'm very thankful for them. What I have gone through, I hope that I can use to help others avoid that.
0: Yeah, that's you kind know. of my take on, on my thing too, is that I wouldn't give my girls up for the world. No. And honestly, the things, the strength that has been forged in me through this mm-hmm. fire that I had to walk through probably, I don't know if it would come have come about any other way. So I wouldn't choose to do it again. And I wish I had listened to people beforehand to avoid right, it, but, but also I'm going to use lining and I can use the stuff yeah. that's been given to me. And maybe my story will help some women out there. I think for me at the end, my family was a huge support and the counseling that I got afterwards was huge. And the lady that I found that it was just by accident. Well, actually it was a God thing that the lady that I found, she had gone to the church that I grew up in she mm-hmm. was also from an abusive marriage and had escaped it. She had gone back mm-hmm. to school to become a counselor to help women like herself. So she was very aware of, I don't think she participated in the cult, but she was very aware of the cult teachings because the church pretty much functioned on them because it was all ATI. And if they weren't an ATI, they they lived the same thing so mm-hmm. uh, or close to it. So she knew all that background. And so I was able to go in there and say, hey, this is what happened. (laughs) I'm from ATI and I've gotten myself into this relationship and I'm back and I'm broken and I'm in ashes and I don't know what to do next. And I don't want to go back, but I'm afraid I'm going to go back. And she was able to walk me through each step of that. And show me some diagrams of abusive relationships and show me Mm -hmm. what true abuse was and show me what narcissists look like and show me what, you know, pathological liars look like. And Mm -hmm. let me compare some of those things so that I had a better understanding of what I was dealing with Mm -hmm. and try to figure it out on my own. Yeah. So she was instrumental in that.
1: That's wonderful. And I'm, it's hard to find yeah.
0: counselors that know all those things. Like you can yeah. find one pastor or another. It's hard to find one with all of those things. But that was critical. So I would say to our viewers, if you're in something like that, or or even if you're just trying to come out of the cult, find try to find someone that at least has a little bit of background in it so mm-hmm. they can and she was very slow I needed her to be very very slow yeah with her counseling and with the truth that she was showing me because otherwise I would have said no and the wall would have come up and I would have heard any of it
1: it would have been too much too fast for you yes. to process yeah yeah and
0: I probably would have rejected it so uh, but she didn't she went real slow and she let me go at my own pace
1: that's wonderful that's <laughs> wonderful Hold on real quick.
0: Where, where was I? So I was talking about... I think you were talking oh, about the, your counselor. The counselor, yes. So I, when I got back, it took me like, probably three months to find a good counselor. And I had to go to like three of them before I found a good one. And one of them was even church-based. And I got in on the second, first or second session. And I was like, whoa, this is this is absolutely just a regurgitation of what I came out of. And I will not do mm-hmm. that again. Yeah. With the cult or with the fundamental church. And so I left that real fast. So don't be afraid to walk away from that. But And then I found this other counselor that was able to have a religious background and give me some godly advice without it being too religious. Mm -hmm. And without it being connected to any of the cult ideas. And she had walked away from those ideas too. So she knew how to help with that. So next week, or no, the second season, when we come back for the second season, we're going to go into some mental health issues, do some little mini sessions on that sort of thing so that kind of ties
1: in with the counselor um, Mm -hmm. idea Um, we'll we'll do like a series on the different forms of abuse yes and we'll go Mm -hmm. into like almost like a checklist of Mm -hmm. things that can be associated with each type of abuse so if you are experiencing them or have experienced them you are aware of what it was and you can try to avoid it in the future
0: Yes. So like Dee and I both said that we saw checklists of things that, you know, helped us come out of that Mm -hmm. or helped us identify what we were experiencing and put words to that. I think Mm -hmm. I remember a lot of times not even having words. I knew it was wrong what I was experiencing. I just didn't have the words or I didn't have, I needed permission to call it what it was. I needed permission to call it abuse. And it took me several Mm -hmm. months to call it that, or I needed permission to call it a cult Took me several years to say that. So, we'll go over some of those things.
1: So, we had talked about in a couple of episodes that I was planning on doing a collaboration with Diane in Psychology. Unfortunately, I'm a full time working mom with this side thing. She's a full time working therapist with her side thing. And our schedules have just not been able to cross paths in the right way. So, you know, hopefully, maybe in the future, if things, and our schedules get a little bit more freer we'll we'll be able to do that in the future possibly but if not please go look at her channel i i really love the way that she breaks down the things that she covers it's a very good perspective it's very hard to find non-judgmental and informative coverage of different cults in both you know the high control groups and i think she does a, a fabulous job so please go support her we really appreciate her channel and then let's see so be sure to follow us on all the social media pages for you to get an update on when season two will be starting and for announcements of our next live for the month of april if we can if we can get to it we may have to skip april so just forewarning at this moment (laughs) it's kind of a play it by ear situation so All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us this week on our episode, and we hope that you will come back for Season 2 and... Come join
0: the rebellion. Bye! Bye!